right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. With me is Nick Springer. It's 2024. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Woo! We made it. And it was a fun weekend of football, to say the least, including last night, though. Uh, I, I did feel very old in, in the second half, and as the game's going down, kind of late. Yeah, dude, what's up know. with the late kickoff? So star- I mean, so come late. on, man. I'm a senior citizen now. We got to start that earlier. Yeah. And I mean, on a work night? Jeez. Uh, just too late. Too late, man. Uh, I, I feel old, but it's yeah. true. It's true. And uh, for the reason why I would hate living on East Coast time. That's neither here nor there. Though. I've been telling you all this whole time. And I've agreed with you the whole time. East Coast time yeah. is the worst time. It's stupid. It sucks. It's terrible. Yeah. We're going to be joined by Matt Tate at 340. Kevin Flaherty is going to hop on with us at 440. We'll break down KU basketball, Big 12 hoops. It's it's uh, the week of Big 12 basketball this week, so we're yeah. uh, we're into conference play. We'll start talking about that and previewing the Big 12 a little bit with Kevin and throughout the week here on the show. we got plenty of KU basketball talk, some KU football talk. Kobe Bryant is back for 2024. KU, though, losing a couple players on the offensive line to the transfer portal. That coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, let's start with KU taking down Wichita State, 86-67. to on Saturday, I don't appreciate that Wichita State went on a 6-0 run in the last minute and a half of the game because 19-point win, as much as that is a big deficit, that doesn't do it justice. This was a 20 or more point win. Yeah. It was it was 84 to 59 with two minutes left, and then they put the walk-ons in. Yeah, Wichita State, especially in the second half, they just or, and late in the first half too, they just looked outclassed. Mm-hmm. They just looked like KU had the superior athletes, the superior players, and it showed. And and KU really pulled away. Uh, but yeah, they didn't show up to the game until about nine minutes left in the first half, though. So yeah, the offense a uh, bit of a slog for the first half of the first half. You know what they look half? like, Derek? Hmm. They look like a team that just came back from Christmas break. That they did. <laughs> this was actually KU's second lowest effective field goal percentage game of the season. The only game lower, Marquette. Mm. Marquette was forty six point three percent. Remind me, forty six point. What happened in the Marquette game? That was their one loss of the season? Oh, that's the one game they lost. Yeah. Oh, duh. Okay, yeah. Well, weirdly enough, it wasn't like a sloppy game. It's not like they came, like they. This was their second lowest turnover rate game of the season. They just couldn't make shots. Yeah. Uh, three point shooting was it was it was one of the higher totals in the terms of the amount of of three pointers they took. Actually, is it the most? Yeah, they, they, that was the most threes they've taken in a game. Twenty seven of them, but uh, didn't shoot them at a high rate. Uh, one of their lower two-point shooting games of the season. Uh, you look kind of all the way through, not a great offensive performance overall, but things started to fall after those first 12 minutes, and, and they started figuring out transition a little bit, kind of dominated in transition. They dominated by getting uh, extra possessions in the game, Yeah, and the defense was was kind of all over Wichita State. It was, just, it was a dominant performance, and in a season where there haven't been a lot of blowout wins, a lot of dominant performances for KU, it was refreshing. Yeah, so with 8.40 left in the first half, game's tied at 14, and then you have the uh, Marco Jackson sequence. Mm. Gets a layup, 
then gets a big dunk in transition, and then hits a three. And that seemed to sort of kickstart the offense and kickstart KU and got them going. And they never looked back after that. I mean, they, they, they basically pulled away. They get up, what, 16 and a half and just keep, kind of keep going from there. So uh, that sequence from a Marco Jackson was really kind of what got the ball rolling, it felt like, for KU. Because, again— Did you say he was playing like the Marco on Saturday? See, you, you got to—I told you to workshop that one, and clearly No, we're have. not workshopping it. I love it. I don't like and it. And I will keep with it. I'm telling you, you need to workshop it. No, I'm telling you, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> Well, that was probably the best sequence of his career at KU, I would say. Uh, you know, the, the Duncan transition was awesome. And uh, I, I think we kind of touched on it uh, a while back, but El Marco is fearless to a fault sometimes in transition. There's been times in transition where he it's, it's like one-on-three, one-on-four, and he just he just goes straight at it, uh, which sometimes, you know, I mean, sometimes you like to see him maybe not do that. But he's fearless. And and, and it, when, it, when, his, when he can put his athleticism on display like that and get a big dunk and, and gets the crowd fired up, and then he hits the three as well. Which was great to see, and so that that really got the ball rolling for KU, and and they kind of went from there. And again, I think from that point on, they just looked like they basically outclassed Wichita State. Wichita State just didn't really have any guy they could go to to get any points. Uh, they were struggling really, although they did end up shooting the ball better field goal percentage wise than KU did in the game, uh, which was kind of funny. But but yeah, overall a really really strong win for Kansas, and a game in which you saw highlights from all five starters. Right, all five starters made big plays. You had a KJ Adams big dunk. You had uh, Dewan Harris with, with a couple threes. You had Hunter Dickinson making plays. And Hunter Dickinson, again, Hunter Dickinson continues to master the art of somehow scoring 22 and 13 yeah. without even you being able to realize what he's doing, uh, which is pretty remarkable. And then Kevin McCullough did his thing as well and ended up scoring 20 points. So it, it was a game where I think you got some real good highlight moments from all five of your starters. And I think when you look at the caliber of starters that KU has – and you have games like this where all five of them seem have kind of their, their moment within the game, I think KU's going to win 90, 95% of the games where that happens. And that's exactly what happened here against Wichita State. I was really impressed with uh, KJ Adams. Kind of, uh, He had five assists in the first half, and he was just dicing up the defense from that short roll. Uh, he, he had a really good game overall, nine points, double-digit rebounds for the first time this season, maybe in his career. He had uh, the, the five assists that came in the first half. He was really impressive. Um, certainly... You were trying to get Hunter involved early by getting jump shots up, but that that wasn't falling at, at as high of a rate as you hoped for. But yeah. ended up getting more into it. He even hit a corner three in the second half, so that was kind of interesting. I I did think for me though that was the biggest takeaway from the game, El Marco Jackson's performance. Yeah, I thought that was the best game of his KU career. Like twelve points for the game. You know, again, you look at the the points and rebound or the uh, rebounds and assists, and they don't jump off the page, but. Dewan Harris and, and because KJ Adams, you're, you're running a lot of the offense through him in that game in that short roll spot. They're going to cannibalize the assists and the rebounds were cannibalized by Hunter Dickinson and um, KJ Adams who had double figures um, to a point where it doesn't matter that he got one or two rebounds. Like you look at it overall on the season, that was one of KU's best rebounding games overall, and you were playing against a team who was. Uh, good on, on had offense ties. and defense rebounding. Yeah, and yeah. that ended up being KU's fourth best offensive rebounding game and their first best defensive rebounding game. Uh, but it's it's the 12 points, it's the aggressiveness, it's the comfortability that Omarco Jackson showed. Because I think for the longest time this season, as athletic as he is, as fast as he is, as bouncy as he is, you haven't always seen that illustrated on the court. You know, so much so, I was watching the game with my wife and he goes up for that dunk, and she was like, I didn't know he could do that. And I was like, yeah, he's like 
or maybe the most athletic guy on the team. He's like the fastest guy on the team. So he's Parker Brown. And she was like, no, please, he's not. Please respect Parker Brown's athleticism. Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, who could forget? I mean, he is more athletic than Christian Brown, who's an NBA athlete. Anyway, um, I, and I was like, no, like that's the case. And I think that kind of comes across in a way to me where it's like, yeah, if you're just watching every game, you don't always see how athletic El Marco is because he's not being ultra-aggressive. He's not driving to the rim all the time. He's not showing that quick first step or being as aggressive to to kind of illustrate what he can be. And I think in this game, you saw what he can be. He can be a force in transition. And the, the, the two threes he hit, you're not going to get multiple threes from him every game. You might not even get one three from him every, every game. was nice to see the three-point shooting look a little more comfortable in that game. The shot, honestly, that I was maybe most enticed by was the second half shot where he shows the quick first step, drives in, pulls up about a foot or two inside the free throw line, because of his athleticism, gets the defender to just blow right by him, gets an open look, and sticks it with confidence. That was a play we have not seen from El Marco Jackson over the first couple you know months of the season. And I'm really excited if he can build off this. Now, we don't know if he's going to build off this or not because we just saw in this very game an example of a player playing well the game before, which was Nick Timberlake scoring 13 points against Yale and it not carrying over to the next game. So there's no guarantee that yeah. Marco takes what I thought was his best game of the season and carrying that over into the TCU game. It's a good first start, but I guess let's let's bring this part of the conversation to Nick Timberlake then. Uh, Timberlake broken again? 0 yeah. for 5? 0 for Kinda 4 from like 3? 3 it, of them were wide the, open corner 3s? He airballed a shot from like 7 feet. Yeah, that. so that's where the problem is. It's like, you know, sometimes... If you just if you're just box score watching, you might think, oh, you know, not a great game for Timberlake. Mm-hmm. But it goes way beyond that, right? When you're actually watching the game and some of the sequences that happen for him, it's just a comedy of errors, and it's just it's just brutal to watch, right? You go back to that, he airballs a layup, and then immediately goes down and fouls on an one at the other end of the floor, right? And th- and that's happened in multiple games. There's mm-hmm. been multiple games where it's been like missed three, or missed open three, or missed layup, and then immediately goes down and has an, uh, something else that kind of snowballs at the other end too. So uh, it's it's very frustrating, right? And I guess maybe we were kind of wrong about the whole idea of well, maybe Nick Timberlake just kind of needs one game, and maybe that'll that'll get him going because he kind of did have that one game against Yale, and it was a game that we both agreed it felt like he needed to have because of the fact that Johnny Furphy wasn't there. Now you got Johnny Furphy back, and and even though Furphy his his box score doesn't really jump out at you either, he played pretty confidently and looked looked like he was improving he was on defense. Aggressive, he was hunting his yeah. shot, and I. Th- I, I think that's a good thing. He is a good shooter, and KU yeah. needs that. So yes, yeah. I, so I like you you add you add Furphy back into the mix, and that kind of sends Timberlake even further down the totem pole, right? Yeah. And, and again, we talked about it. If there's one thing that's definitely going to keep you off the floor, it's if you can't play defense, and if you if you really struggle on defense when you're playing for Bill Self, and and then you you add that in with the fact that he's ice cold from 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 three and and is really struggling. So. Yeah, I feel for the guy, uh, uh, but again, I, I mentioned this, I think, last week also about the fact that, you know, even though he's been struggling so much, he, he continues to outwardly project positivity, which I think is something that's really, really good to see, right? I mean, you, you don't want to see a guy uh, really get down on the dumps and maybe dragging down his teammates. He still seems to be outwardly pretty positive, but uh, gosh, I I would be curious to see what those practices are like for him because it's it's been very tough sledding for him, and and yeah, you take you take one step forward with the Yale game, and now like three steps back, it feels like for him, uh, heading into conference play. 
And, and again, I still I still continue to believe that Timberlake is a guy you're going to need to get something out of uh, in conference play if you if you want to win 13, 14 conference games, get a conference title, and go and go from there. I mean, he, it feels like you're going to need to get some sort of value out of him. Again, if nothing else, because you only have nine guys on scholarship, mm-hmm. so you can't really afford to have one guy be totally dead weight. No, it's a, it's a good point, and and like I remember, I, I don't remember the kid's name, but UConn obviously won the national title last year. Let me see if I can find this. Um, and they had a kid who transferred in from San Diego, or maybe it's I don't know. They're, they're, it was either UCSD or, or University of San Diego. Either way, one of the San Diego schools last year, and he was someone who was averaging you know double figure points per game at, at his previous stop as well. Um, and he ended up coming at Joe, Joey Calcaterra. Calcaterra, Calcaterra. Oh, yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and he transfers into to UConn last year, and his role wasn't nearly as big as it was previously from what it was, you know, at San Diego, where he averaged 11.5, 13.3, 8.5 points per game. But even then, that's nothing compared to what Timberlake was averaging. And he aver- he played 14.5 minutes per game for UConn last year. Wasn't a starter, but he'd come in, averaged 5.8 points per game, shot 44.6% from three. He was someone who would just come in off the bench, fire up a couple threes, give you a little bit of bench scoring, and if he's hot that day, maybe he'd play a little bit more. I think that would be just fine for Nick Timberlake, but the problem is you're not even getting that level well, yeah, of, I mean, yeah, of, kind of say, trust right now. At this point, that's probably Timberlake's ceiling. Yes. I mean, preseason we're talking about, well, could Timberlake get right. out there and play 20, and 25 minutes a game? Yeah. Could he start? Now, what you just described is absolute best-case be scenario. Great. If you guarantee that right now, I'd be like, okay, take it, and that gives you a much <laughs> well, better chance of making think, a Final think Four. Think about yeah. it. What percentage would Timberlake have to shoot from here on out to even get to 44% for the season? That's tough. He's I think he's at, what, 27%? Yeah, I mean, he'd have to be... And, and, and the problem is, it's just, there doesn't appear to be any light at the end of the tunnel with his shooting. I, I don't know. I mean, again, it seems it seems really difficult for a guy to go... Consecutive season shooting over forty percent from three to what we're seeing from Timberlake right now, but that's what's happening. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Right. I don't know what else to say. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how else to to break it down. To, that you have a guy who has you know for an extended period shot the ball very well, and now just really can't. You know, and and obviously I think that would lead you to believe that it's that it's some sort of mental block. You know, he's just it's a, it's a mental thing, right? And and listen, we've talked about it. I mean, at Kansas, the pressure of playing. For the team on the front of the jersey, that's a lot of pressure. Oh yeah, and not all, not everyone is going to handle it as great as other as other players. No, I've are. I've termed this before. It's it's Charlie Mooreitis. <laughs> Charlie Moore, good player. By solid the way, player at dude, Cal. He's like the MVP of the Italian whatever the hell league. I know he's, that he's in he's whatever cooking. Italian yeah. league. But that's that's exactly my point. <laughs> Charlie Moore, solid player at Cal, comes to Kansas. He could not make anything. He's in Italy he averaging like right? 25 points a game. Then he transfers and ends up his final year at Miami and kills it at Miami. They make an Elite Eight behind him being one of the starters and key players. And now, like you said, he's killing it in overseas basketball. He's a good basketball player, but sometimes there is a mental aspect to the game that whether it's it's the fit, whether it's the role you're being asked to play, whether it's the, the fit with everybody else on the roster, whether it's just the name on the jersey and the expectations and the pressure of where you're playing, it doesn't work out well, and, and, listen, and that's maybe what we're seeing right now on top of all that nobody has ever said that it's easy to play for bill self no of course not right yeah of course not you know no pressure no diamonds all that sort of stuff um now it is possible that maybe timberlake just you know ku's had shooting struggles before at the t-mobile center the sprint center at the past um 
it's possible that maybe that was what just happened. Which, by the way, they they the T-Mobile Center they want you to know that it's a T-Mobile Center now. I, I mean, know there's they T-Mobile do. Center signs and brandage literally anywhere you look. It's impossible for you to look anywhere without seeing giant pink T-Mobile. Yeah, there's two things they you want see you to know when you go to the T-Mobile Center that it's the T-Mobile Center <laughs> and that Garth Brooks has had a billion. Oh yeah, there. I yeah. saw the Garth Brooks banners. Yeah, it was awesome. So I'm sitting right below one. The thing with Timberlake is that he clearly, by his last performance against Yale, gained more trust because it wasn't like he was the first player off the bench for KU. That is a clear difference. In games past where you had Johnny Furphy available, it was Furphy as the first player off the bench. Now, maybe this it it was more of an indication, hey, you played well last game, Furphy missed last game. We're just going to give it to you. I'll be very interested to see which of those comes off the bench first against TCU. I would venture to guess it's going to be Johnny Furphy. But if it is Nick Timberlake, then maybe that is the sign he needs to be like, hey, I played bad, but I still got my spot. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, exactly. Because now you run into an issue. I think if you're if you're Bill Self, oh man, if you just with this guy's confidence, exactly. I don't know. If you just if you just totally yank this guy, is he crushed? Right. But I mean, at the same time, if you keep throwing him out there and he keeps laying eggs, that that doesn't help obviously either. Yeah. So it's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place until he finds a way to dig out of this this funk or whatever you want to call it that he's in. By the way, really weird uh, shooting chart for KU in this game. So on uh, at the rim shots, they go 17 of 20, 85%. That's pretty good. That'll work. The The shots in the paint that were not at the rim, only 5 of 14, though. That's 36%. That's, that's pretty not good. They were only 2 of 13 on mid-range shots. <laughs> well, Hunter missed like 5. Yeah. He couldn't hit, he couldn't hit a shot. Outside the paint. Actually pretty good on corner threes. Four of nine, 44%. But three of 18 on above the break threes. Oof. So pretty much they were they were good from the corner three and mainly just at the rim, and that was enough. That was enough. Yeah. And part of the big reason why was um, really good rebounding game, as we talked about. Really good turnover game, too. Not just in terms of forcing them, but in terms of not having them yourselves. KU only had eight turnovers. No. You ended up having a big advantage with points off turnovers. KU had 15 points off turnovers in this game. Wichita State only had six. Yep. And that allowed you to get out in transition. KU had 14 fast break points. Wichita State only had seven. Um, you look at uh, the second chance points, 10 to seven because of the rebounding. That was something coming in we thought Wichita State might have an advantage in. Uh, points in the paint, 44 to 36. So you kind of just edged your way through in a lot of different ways. But yeah. An encouraging game going into Big 12 play. And the other major thing that jumped out to me immediately was free throw shooting as well. Yeah. KU goes 17 of 19 at the line. Kevin McCuller, by the way, 10 for 10. Joara McDowell also 4 of 4 from the line. So he's been a guy that when you've needed free throws, he's been pretty clutch, right? Uh, and then McCuller goes 10 for 10. So really nice to see that considering where they were for a couple games early in the season where you thought, is free throw shooting going to be a – is that going to be a possible Achilles heel? It seems like they've maybe got that figured out. And then Wichita State only went 7 of 14 from the line. So that mm-hmm. obviously really hurt them while it really benefited KU. So, yeah, all around a great win. And, again, I think to me the biggest thing was you had all five of your starters had their moments of uh, in the spotlight, basically, where they made some nice plays, which is really, really good to see. And and even though Timberlake really struggled, you still got some nice bench bench play from, from Furphy and McDowell. Parker Brown ended up playing 10 minutes as well and got involved. So, uh, yeah, all in all, a great win for Kansas, and it comes at the perfect time, right? You want to be going into conference play feeling good, feeling rested, feeling energized, and feeling ready to attack the conference, and that's exactly seemingly what KU has done, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think knowing that KU hasn't had a ton of blowout wins this year, it's nice to have one. 
And knowing that once you get into Big 12 play, which is even, it feels like every year, we go in every year and it's like, oh, it's the best conference in the country. Oh, this path is brutal. Oh, this schedule is tough. And every year it gets a little tougher. And it's going to continue doing that because next year you're going to add Arizona too. But um, point being, you're not going to have a lot of blowouts over the next 18 games. No, you're not. You might win one or two games by 20-plus points over the next 18 games. Maybe. You're going to have a lot of games where you're going to be white-knuckling it and just just like, all right, let's see what happens. Because the conference is that good. In fact, I'm I'm curious. How many games did they win last year in conference play where they won by 20-plus points? Mm, I, I I can tell you some games they lost they lost by twenty plus. Points yeah, I know they, they, they did the reverse. <laughs> uh, they beat West Virginia by fourteen. That's not quite twenty. Uh, Kansas State by twelve. These are just the double figure ones. Oklahoma by twenty three. So that would be by twenty plus. Oklahoma State by eleven. Baylor by sixteen. Which remember KU was down at least sixteen in that game. Yes, West Virginia by seventeen. Iowa State by thirteen. So including the Big Twelve tournament. You won only seven games by double digits, and I think only one of those is by 20-plus. So, point being, enjoy the blowout while you get it, because from the rest of the way out, probably like you said, you're going to be white-knuckling. Buckle up! Yeah. Matt Tate's going to join us in 15 minutes. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. We'll be joined by Matt Tate in about 10 minutes here. Uh, recap of Rock Chalk Pickahawk. I had Hunter Dickinson, so things went well for me. He had uh, 38 points. I also got nine from K.J. Adams. How about nine from Jamari McDowell? Yeah, he was good. He was. He was good. Minus one from Furphy, so I ended up with 55. You got That's, 12. I, yeah. 55, I think, is probably the highest score we've had all season. It might be. Yeah. Uh, you got 12 from Kevin McCuller, negative six from Dewan, negative three from Parker Brown, and negative four from El Marco Jackson. So you ended up with negative one. <laughs> so I am now nine and six. You are now six and nine. Uh, seven and six. Nope, six not seven. true. Uh, hit of the week brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football or KU basketball. In your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. So uh, as we've talked about before when we do this for KU basketball, we have to get a little more creative. Hitting a three, yes. hitting a block, yeah, hitting a dunk. Hitting another player if you run into a... I don't yeah. know, take a charge or something. Yeah, or I guess we should have picked Hunter Dickinson shoving that guy down in the, <laughs> the end of the week, whatever week that was, whatever game that was. Yeah. What game was that? Was that, was that UMKC? A UMKC game, right? Yeah, I think that was. You just two hands happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got the technical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That would have been a good one. What sticks out for hit of the week on the Wichita State game? Uh, I think there's a couple plays. Mm-hmm. El Marco's transition dunk. That was pretty awesome with his hands. Uh, yeah, throwing it down. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty cool. Hitting, hitting the skies, flying through the air. Mm-hmm. KJ Adam had a nice dunk. Also, he did. Uh, he had a, a, it was a really big dunk, actually. Uh, and then uh, those are probably the two that stuck out to me. I mean, Marco, Jack, Marco Jackson hit a three. You know, and I tried to think of plays that had some serious consequence to the game, right? Because like Hunter Dickinson hits a corner three, but it's like. Nah. Game was out of reach. Yeah, you know? there wasn't a ton of consequence in really everything that happened in the second half. <laughs> um, and I would have picked Jank, but he missed his three. So. He did. What about the the Parker Brown? He had a nice block hitting the ball. Yeah, maybe. There was a play where KJ, this isn't the first time I think, KJ just inexplicably volleyball spiked the ball out of bounds for no reason. <laughs> like he could have just grabbed it like a normal person and instead he just, he just decided to absolutely hmm. put his full weight into just slamming it out of bounds. But what about Johnny Furphy hitting a three as he got hit on the arm mm. for the old-fashioned four-point play? Uh, double hit. The new-fashioned four-point play. Mm. No, I mean, I'm pretty much sold on El Marco's dunk, to be honest. That was immediately, I was like, 
that's when when that happened in the game, I was like, that's our Pierce inclusion here of the week right there. You knew it right I, away. I saw it. I was like, that's it. Okay. I'm fine doing that one, so we'll give it to El Marco Jackson. Bang. Which uh, makes our basketball El Marco, board. He's on the board. He is. KJ Adams has two. Kevin McCuller has one. El Marco Jackson has one. Yeah, the problem with KJ Adams is like a lot of times he just dunks it. So he's that's physically imposing and yeah, athletic. It's so easy he's to get pick more him hits. for yeah. hitting something. For sure. Pearson knows accidents happen, understands the stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision Repair, 7th in Connecticut in Lawrence. And if you're looking for work, Pearson is always looking to add to their team of artists a rewarding career with awesome pay, paid holidays, and weekends off. Pearson Collision Repair strives to hire only the best and wants you to apply. If you're committed to excellence, want career growth, come join the award-winning team. You can go to the Pearson Collision Repair page on Facebook and apply. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty coming up at 440 to break down the college football playoff and also talk a little Big 12 basketball preview. We've got Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com joining us on the other side to break down some KU basketball, maybe a little KU football with Kobe Bryant announced he's coming back with Matt. If we don't get to that, we will get to Kobe Bryant coming back in the 4 o'clock hour. This is RCST. We'll be back after this. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Happy New Year's and welcome to the year 2024 to our first guest of the new year, Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports. I know Matt has uh, been, I don't know, recognized in so many ways, but this has got to be the biggest of them all, the first guest of 2024 RCST. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining us today. Uh, get right into it. Was was the Wichita State game? Was that the breakout game for El Marco Jackson? Are we about to see El Marco go off over the last half of the season? Uh, first of all, let, I, I am thrilled <laughs> to be the first guest. I, mm-hmm. I you know, it's it's uh it's January second, so obviously anything could have happened. But I but I held off all comers. You did for what is this? Uh, Twenty four thirty six. Uh, almost 40 hours Yeah, when, when anybody could have, you know, beat me to the punch, you could have had a, an emergency show of some kind, whatever you, whatever you wanted to do, it's your show. Right. So the, the fact that I am the first guest is not a small feat. I am thrilled. And honestly, when you said it, I almost yelled as loud as I can, wow. let's go. <laughs> but I wanted to be respectful of your professionalism and, and just who you are. So I, I, I held, I held back, but yeah, man, I'm fired up. 2024. I don't know the last um, first time I I was a guest of anybody's year, so um, you know I'll remember this day at least for the next two or three days. At least we we drew up um, a little uh, we drew up a little certificate for you. We're gonna yeah. send it to you in the mail. Oh, very cool. All right, I'll hang that up. I've got a good spot. I'm looking at it right now. Perfect. But to answer your question, if you have any extra now, pictures that your daughter drew, just you can put this on top of it. It's it's a little more important. <laughs> There you go. Twenty years from now, when I'm looking yeah. through it, I'll be like, "Oh, 
I knew that art sucked, but look at this certificate. How cool is that? Um, no, man, um, to get to your question, though, Happy New Year to both of you and, and everybody listening. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, it's hard to say because we haven't seen El Marco just really put it down and, and shift into that fifth gear and just say, here I go. And as much as I think people want to, see that as much as I think his teammates would love it as much as coach self would love it I think the fact that he hasn't done that or has shown a a hesitation to try to do that is is the biggest credit to him because that's that's a that's a freshman who clearly gets it he's playing with four guys who have played a lot of college basketball a couple of them have won national titles uh all big 12 all this all that all America you know and and so if he were to come in and just say, Hey, look, I'm a, I'm a McDonald's all American. It's my time. I'm it now let's go. You know, I, I don't know that that would be received quite as well as, as it could on some teams, but this team, he's got so many veterans and so much talent around him that he he's, he's chosen to pick his spots and take his time and just sort of blend. And, and, and while, you know, you, you always want to see everybody star, um, I, I think in a way that is him being a star. So I, I think that what we saw at Wichita State or against Wichita State was perfect. I, I mean, if he could do that the rest of the way, I don't even think he needs to have bigger games than that. I just think that that kind of impact, the, the confidence, um, being aggressive, asserting himself, you know, taking plays and making plays when they're there to be made, um, all of those things that he did on offense that, that, you know, each one sort of snowballed and created confidence to do the next one. And then the next one, um, I, I thought he looked great. I thought, I thought that was a big step for him. And I, I spent a little time with his, um, AAU coach and his mom actually after the game. And so I've got a little more insight that I'm, that I'm going to write up this week as we wait for another game, um, a week away. Uh, I'm going to be able to dive into a little bit more of, of what, that means for El Marco. So you can check that out uh, in the next day or two at r1s1sports.com. It'll be there. And, you know, frankly, I was hoping to have it done by now, but there was so much to write from that game and then New Year's Eve and then all the football that's been happening. I've just been a little bit slower, kind of like El Marco. So um, I think, though, again, I don't think he needs to explode. I don't think that that a, a big coming out party beyond that needs to happen. If he can do that, that'll be perfect offensively. And then for a week or so, maybe two weeks, about how his defense does look like it's getting there. And and I think Self and his teammates and all those guys, they'll say that, right? Like, we don't need him to score 12 points. The biggest way he can help this team is defensively. So start there, which is perfect for a Bill Self coach team, and then everything else is kind of gravy from there. So he, he seems to get that. He seems to be comfortable, and, and I think that's what you'll notice as much as anything going forward. It may not be monster stat lines, but I think you'll notice that it's kind of being out there and just sort of blending looks a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident, and, and you know, that'll, that'll be something that you can see and, and something that, de- that def- definitely shows up in, in, you know, whether they're big ways or small ways, you, you'll be able to see it. Well, the kind of flip side of that is we saw Nick Timberlake have a potential breakout performance against Yale, but didn't turn out that way because uh, the Wichita State game w- was rough. 0 for 5, 0 for 4 from 3. He had the one air ball in like the 7-8 footer. He had the two early fouls when he came in the first time. Um, do, do you think now that we're headed to Big 12 play, 
are we close to maybe the rotation getting trimmed down to maybe just Furphy and Brown off the bench? Or do you think there is always going to be a role for Nick Timberlake as the season goes on? And and how much do you think that one game, uh, because it's it's night and day from the last two games, will kind of affect things moving into conference action? I think it's entirely up to Furphy, really. I think if he can... If he can find, you know, sort of that same concept that we just talked about with El Marco, where it's consistent, it's confident, it's aggressive um, on both ends, if he's able to do that, I think, you know, on a consistent day after day basis, and, and that includes practice. That's something that's worth pointing out. That that's not just show up on game night and do it. That, you know, the way you get an opportunity to do it on game night is by doing that same consistent approach in practice. So. I think if he can do that and, and show that over the next two, three weeks consistently, uh, then I think there's no doubt that they'd say, hey, well, let's give him 25 minutes a game and, and let's give, you know, um, Timberlake or whoever else, Jamari McDowell. I, I think Jamari McDowell is, is possibly closer than ever to, to moving past Timberlake in the rotation. And, and, you know, it's so hard because, yeah, the Yale thing was nice, and, and gosh, you saw the kid exhale, and he made a couple shots, he made a couple plays, he looked good. Um, but it, 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 it didn't go away. You know, like, it, it's still in his head, clearly. He's still, every time he's shooting the ball right now, he's aiming it, he's trying, he's hoping it goes in. You can just see that. I mean, it's, it's, um, it was a cool break for him to get that Yale moment, and, and I'm sure he needed it mentally. Um, but it's still there and it's still a thing. And, and so somehow he's going to have to figure out how to just let it go. And, and if, if he doesn't, you know, then, then yeah, I think his playing time will, will continue to decrease. And it has done that over the last few weeks. In fact, you mentioned the two fouls um, within like a minute, right? Um, yeah. That to me was the most telling thing about where Nick Timberlake's at in this rotation, because, Normally, you would think, okay, a guy picks up a couple of fouls, especially a bench player, right? Like, hey, let's get him out of there. He needs to settle down, blah, blah, blah. Well, they didn't take him out right away. I mean, Self left him out there. And and to me, that was sort of the, the telling thing about that was they're almost to the point of, well, oh, well, if he gets his third. It's not a big concern. It, you know, it, it's it's not as if um, somebody, you know, in, that, in the starting five or, or a, a you know, one of the more counted on type players picks up his third in the first half. Um, you want to avoid that at all costs. Most coaches do, but the fact that he left him out there was, was to me kind of like, it, it, it's just not a big deal either way. If he's out there, great. If he's not out there, that's fine. We can figure that out too. So um, again, don't want to pile on and not trying to knock him at all because nobody wants to do that, including his teammates and including his coaches. Um, but if they're leaving you out there with two fouls in the first half after you picked them up a minute apart and, and you know, in your first minute or so checking into the game, that's telling you everything you need to know right there. Um, and so he's going to have to find a way to, to, to sort of earn their trust back, and, and the easiest way to do that will be making shots. Um, but, man, I, I feel for the kid. Uh, he's a terrific young man, and, and um, he's trying. Uh, you know, it's not like he's hoping to miss or trying to miss. He's trying hard, um, maybe too hard, and, and maybe the pressure's just a little too tight because it's obviously not, not clicking for him. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question more directly, I, I, yeah, I think so, man. I mean, I, you know, we've seen 
Bill Self played seven guys, even six guys sometimes, in plenty of Big 12 games over 21 years here. So um, I don't think that he's afraid to do that. Uh, I don't think that would be his first choice either. But, you know, if, if it's that or put a guy out there that you don't know what you're going to get or you're not confident in, I, I think he'd take the former in a heartbeat because um, that's too risky. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, obviously, that it'd be beneficial to them if they could get some, you know, blowout victories and that kind of thing. But man, when's the last time we saw blowout victories in the Big Twelve on a consistent basis by Kansas or anyone else? Uh, it just—it's just the league is too tough, and so to, to to expect those to be on the horizon is is probably um, wrong and naive. And and uh, you know, Nick's going to have to find a way to earn earn the playing time in games that matter and games that are tight wire to wire so um we'll see if he can do it It, it'll be very interesting yeah and when you look at that big 12 schedule now that we're getting to big 12 play i i just i am in awe of the schedule for ku from february on versus houston at k-state versus baylor at texas tech at oklahoma versus texas versus byu at baylor versus kansas state at houston that is remarkable stuff for the final 10 games of the season and obviously we know there are a lot of really good teams in the Big 12. Schedules are going to be unbalanced this year, so you could actually end up in a case where a team goes 13-5 and five and another goes 14-4, and four and the team who goes 14-4 and four wins the league, but the team who goes 13-5 and five actually had a harder schedule. I, I don't know how it'll all work out. Uh, when, when you look at what number you think it will take to win the Big 12, what do you think that will be for KU this year? 18 games. Um tough league I, I maybe 13 my my gut was 12 and 6 would maybe do it because the talent is is there but but i could see houston i could see houston being a tough out for everybody and i could see houston winning 13 14 games in this conference even in year one um you know we'll see but obviously they're they're undefeated still i think one of three teams in the country still undefeated um they're 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 number three in the country they're 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 very well coached. They play a style that's really tough to handle. Um, so I'm not saying it's down to Kansas and Houston by any means, but I think, you know, those are obviously your two favorites and uh, for a reason. So uh, if you can get to 13, I think you got a great shot. 13 and five, that would, that would, be, that would be pretty remarkable. What won it last year? What, do you remember? Uh, did they get to 14 last year? I, I think 13 technically would have won it. Or No, wait, I'm – Oh, that's right, because they, they didn't need the Texas win when, when they went down there. So, yeah, I think so. I think 13. I yeah, think it was 13. Right. And then, yeah, Texas had 12 right behind them. Okay. So, so yeah, I, I mean, you know, that that's a pretty safe answer most years probably. Um, but if you told me right now that 12 and 6 will win this thing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call you crazy. I don't think that's a, a shocking development. If anything, man, I was looking back at this uh, a little bit earlier. We, we sent out a Monday newsletter that went out on Tuesday today um, because of, uh, because of a uh, new year's day and, and uh, just figured most people were probably not checking on their emails and computer all day yesterday. There's plenty of other things to do, including those college football games that were phenomenal. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, it, for, for the newsletter, I was looking at just a kind of a reminder, hey, in case you've forgotten, now that Big 12 plays here, let's take a look back at the poll, uh, the coaches' poll, preseason picks. They had Oklahoma like 12th. They had BYU like <laughs> 13th. 
those two teams are ranked in the top 12 in the nation right now. And I don't say that's a knock their, their, their picks. I mean, that's just, if anything, that's a, that's a, a really clear piece of evidence of how good this conference is and how hard it's going to be to figure out. So, I mean, that's amazing though. When I saw that, I, I was, I was blown away that they, they had now I've been blown away by Oklahoma too. That's been a very surprising development. I didn't think it was crazy to have them where they had them. Um, but to have them 11th in the country right now, what a what a great job he's doing there. And and I think the Porter Mosier, that is, and, and I think Mark Pope is I, – I just love him at BYU. I think he's a great coach. I think it's a terrific fit there. So those are two teams that will factor in. You've got two others that are ranked in the top 20, I think. Baylor's 18th, Texas is 20th. Um, Iowa State's getting votes. I mean, this is – yeah, this, there's nothing about this league that's taking a step back. I was reading over some of the notes earlier today. It, it, they have the highest winning percentage in the country. They have the most 20-point victories of any conference in the country. I think it's something like 73, which is insane. That's a huge number. Uh, I know it's non-conference, and they've played some teams like, you know, complete mismatches and stuff like that. But still, that's a big number. And then the one that really jumped out is there have been 16 triple-doubles in the country this year, and five of them are from players in the Big 12, including obviously two from Kevin McCullough. So um, just a, a monster of a league, man. And and it's going to be really, really, really fun to watch it all play out. And I think there are, while Oklahoma and BYU have obviously um, overachieved maybe a little bit and announced themselves as, as contenders when people maybe thought otherwise, I, I think there are still some other teams that maybe have underachieved a little bit and, and are still putting it together and are, are coming. And, and if they get there, look out. It'll be, it'll be uh, you know, it'll be sort of like the Big 12 football race was where you had a bunch of teams in it still those last two weeks of the season. And um, I hope so. That's, that's, that makes it more fun for sure. He is Matt Tate. You can check out his work, r1s1sports.com. Matt, what do you guys have going on right now on the website? There is, uh, let's see, the El Marco story's coming. There is, uh, what did I put up, a little reaction to Kobe Bryant's news, which wasn't shocking, but still big news. Um, there is a pretty cool story about K.J. Adams and his rebounding slash um, point guard skills from the Wichita State game that has a little bit more than just rebounding in it. And I, I'm going to start taking a look this week, too. Uh, we've got our Samaya Nichols diary. That's uh, I've had so much fun with that. The women, a tough loss to open the Big 12 schedule, but um, they've got a chance to bounce back tomorrow night at Iowa State. So we're, we're still tracking plenty on that team, and, and they've still got some good days ahead of them, I think. Um, but Samaya's just been so much fun. And so uh, this, I think it's part seven of the Samaya Diary, which is always fun to check out if you haven't yet. Um, you can check them all out. They're all linked at the bottom of each one. And then I'm thinking about doing, and I haven't fully done this, but I'm thinking about doing just sort of a look at every player on the men's roster and, and like what's the one thing that they need to improve upon for this team to uh, – to go and it won't be anything groundbreaking or anything like that but but i'm going to look closer at the numbers and see um what 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 might be there for each guy because obviously those four guys that start with el marco um they've all been really good and it's hard to expect them to do much more but i think self has said they each can and and i'm sure they would say it too so um this is a fun team um they're they're a weird team because their depth is 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 uh, hard to see, but um, they're really talented and, and 
that that top tier group is is insanely talented. So a um, lot of fun, and and yeah, we're just getting started, man. It should be a lot of fun, and and uh, I think we still have our special going too. Twelve bucks for a full year. I don't know how much longer that's going to go, um, but if you haven't done it yet and you're listening, and you want to check it out. Now is the time. So thanks for asking. Always, Derek. I appreciate it, man. And uh, a big month and a big year for you. I know. So um, I'll be I'll be with you. Thoughts. Good wishes, all that stuff in the in the next however many days, hours, weeks, months, years, whatever it is, man. I'm I'm uh, super excited for you, and, and wish you all the best there. Well, I appreciate that. Happy New Year, Matt, and uh, make that your New Year's resolution. Resolution. Go check out r1s1sports.com. Appreciate it, man. Love it. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you sometime soon. Appreciate it. All right, sounds good, Matt Tate, r1s1sports.com, joining us here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. Let's get more into that Kobe Bryant decision and some uh, of the latest with KU football in the offseason. A couple of their offensive linemen transferring out of the program. We'll get to that next on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we've got some sort of breaking news, I guess you could say, uh, that... LJ Arnold, Lawrence Arnold on Twitter, because this goes right into what we're about to talk about here, which is some KU football decisions of uh, some linemen to transfer out of the program and Kobe Bryant to come back for next year. Well, what about LJ Arnold, who, you know, all, all the three of KU's receivers can come back for another year. Yep. And all three have different skill sets and are fantastic players. Yep. Well, Lawrence Arnold tweeted nine minutes ago, unfinished business hashtag rock chalk with a heart emoji and a picture of him uh, after he caught that one, or I don't know, one of the touchdowns, at least against UNLV. Yeah, so, so uh, let's safe to some, say he's back, right? Some reckless speculation here. You think that means he's back? I think this does mean he's back. <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, I'll, I'll say this. How about, I don't even think it's reckless. I oh. think it's a speculation. Oh, oh. Yeah. What about that? Wow. Well, and so the reason, I, I don't know if this is the reason, maybe he would have done this anyway, just because theoretically... Like I've said before, nowadays in the transfer portal era, you almost need every single player to announce what they're doing, you know, whether you do think they had a pro decision or not. But I, I think part of what went into this are Maj Reed Adams over the weekend, one of your, I guess, starting linemen. He started at right tackle for you in the bowl game. He played a lot of the different guard positions for you. Yeah. It was basically a three-man mix this season between Michael Ford, Armaj Reed Adams, and Kobe Baines. So, really, you, you basically had six starting linemen for five spots, um, and Armaj Reed Adams was part of that. He was one of your five highest in terms of snaps and everything. Had a solid year. He announced he's going to be transferring away. And Armaj Reed Adams is from DeSoto, Texas. He went to DeSoto High School, which uh, he was brought in, I believe, by Emmett Jones, who was from like the same neighborhood. And he grew up with LJ Arnold. They were friends growing up. Like I'm pretty sure they were like best friends growing up. Mm. Went to the same high school together. Mm. Came to KU together. There was definitely some speculation after Armaj Reed Adams left of like, oh, what does this mean for LJ Arnold? Could he leave too? But I think it's probably a little bit of a different scenario uh, for the two guys, and obviously we're seeing that here. I think one for Armaj Reed Adams, as much as he was kind of a starter, he still was having to compete for starter you know, snaps with Ford and Baines, and both Ford yeah. and Baines can be back next year. And maybe Armaj Reed Adams, you know, he plays right tackle in the bowl game. Um, maybe, you know, obviously there's so much NIL tampering and whatever going on and, and schools approaching kids and being like, hey, I'll give you this much money. 
You know, sure. what if another school is willing to say, hey, we'll give you a bunch of money to come here to play right tackle for us, you know? And who knows what's going to end up happening and what school he'll end up going to or whatnot. But yeah. um, it could just be about that. And maybe KU is giving LJ Arnold a, a big enough sum of money anyway. Plus, Arnold, obviously, it's been made that, that you know, he's he's a new father. I, I don't know the situation with his um, with his partner and his, his significant other and, and the baby are... Is she from Lawrence and, you know, it'd be bad to move away, right? Like, who, know, who knows uh, into all that. So, yeah. uh, basically, this just confirms that, that he'll be back next year despite the Reed Adams move. Yeah, and on top of that, listen, today's the last day that guys can't enter the transfer yes. goal, right? So, if there was any sort of speculation about guys possibly entering, this could just be a simply a statement of Lawrence Arnold saying, hey, listen, I'm not going anywhere. You know, today's the last day no, like for I said, guys to I would enter. appreciate if every player... Said even if even if it's no, like a, okay no I no, don't no, care no, no, no. I don't care fifth string dude fifth string say it say it you know me I don't like the social media crap I don't need to be seeing twenty thousand <laughs> I'm back announcements from guys that <laughs> played ten snaps okay like fourth string long snapper I don't no I don't need to be seeing that okay? back for revenge <laughs> yeah back for revenge unfinished business mm-hmm. unfinished what you played five snaps <laughs> all season. What do you what what did what did you not finish? No, I I want it. I I think we we need uh or at least just like I don't know we we you know send out like a checklist. No, I think it would be. I think what should happen is it should be this the college the university should just basically tweet out a list of all the guys that have that Here's are confirmed back, to come back. Here's out once the second happens, like yeah. we do with signing day. They're yes. like, here's everybody we signed. Yes, it they should release be a, something. It should just be a list here's of all the guys left. that are coming back. Yeah, that's what I think. That could actually work. Uh, but anyway, I mean, with Reed Adams leaving, I, I guess we'll just start there since that's where this went with the LJ Arnold. Yeah. Um, it's a loss to your offensive line, and then there was news today that Spencer Lavelle was transferring. Now, Lavelle never really got on the field a ton for you. He was previously at Arizona State and Cal before transferring to KU. He never yep. really cracked um, much into the rotation. I don't know that he was ever someone that, the staff would have felt super comfortable if he was like a starter, but it's like okay, here here's another guy with power five level experience. He's depth, like, yeah. and especially when you're losing our Marjorie Adams, it's like okay, you have Ford and Baines, and then Lavelle is is a backup. Like uh, that's fine. And you may be wondering to yourself, wait a second, Arizona State, Cal, KU, and the guys transferring again. Yeah. Well, with the NCAA's ruling on you know basically open season on whatever you want to yep. do, uh, that's allowed that's allowed guys like in that situation to, to go ahead and 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 I think now he'll he's like he's a grad transfer this time. I think. Uh, so, I think so. Or, I'm, I would assume. I'm not really sure, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, so moving on. And, and to your point, you know, he was a guy that famously had the uh, shirtless photo. That's with, right. Uh, Andy Kolnicki. Now both, and now those both guys gone. are not on the team. But, yeah, he was a very, very large individual, uh, a mountain of a man. People may also recognize him from the scary eyes he always had in photos <laughs> where it looked like he was, like, going to run through the, the photo and, like, <laughs> tackle you or something. Uh, so, yeah, a tough loss. And I think when you compound that with the Armandre Adams loss – Actually, you know, you, you had brought this up last week with with KU's interior offensive line about the idea of Michael Ford basically becoming your center. Well, I think that premise was under the idea that then Armajri Adams would be probably one of your guards at that point. Right. So if Armajri Adams is gone, does that change the calculus might. on Michael Ford? Does he does he become a guard? Does does KU decide, hey, you know what? Let's just go get a tra- let's just go get a center in the transfer portal and we'll keep Ford at guard or Vice versa, we'll have guard move. We'll have Ford move to center and find a guard, another guard or something. It, I think it definitely changes the the situation for how KU maybe would be approaching that 
filling up their offensive line and making sure that they've got the pieces they want. Yeah, and they, they still have uh, some players who they've brought in that, that can maybe provide depth. We'll see. But they're going to have to absolutely hit the offensive line for both, you know, possibly a starter-level player and, and definitely at least some depth. Because, you know, you look at the tackle position, Bryce Cable do will be back. You feel good about that. Calvin Clements, Logan Brown should be in a conference, uh, competition. I think I feel good about that. Yeah. Uh, James Livingston, I feel good about him being one of the backup tackles. And then obviously you have the two freshmen coming in with Lavrusky and uh, Abajian, who I think project out to be to be tackles. Obviously, you don't want to get true freshmen on the field right away. But you know maybe it would be helpful to have one other player who could be like a swing tackle where maybe they're a guard, but they could play tackle if you needed them to, yeah. just to add a little more depth there. But well, I, I think feel good remember, about that. Remember, KU has said and demonstrated by how they've handled their offensive line that they are not really as much focused on like the traditional positions as mm-hmm. much as they just want the five, what they believe to be the five best yeah. offensive linemen out there. So, you know, who knows? It could be all sorts of shuffling, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, could, could Logan Brown play guard? I don't know. <laughs> you know, there could be, who knows, right? Yeah. You never know. You, you really don't. Uh, but Michael Ford, Kobe Baines gives you at least, you know, one guard, one center, two guards, whatever it ends up being. DK Stearns, somebody who's been in the program for a little bit. Can he provide solid enough depth? Uh, Nolan Gorchika, Dre Dorian, um, you know, th- these are at least depth players. Yeah. So I think it would behoove you to – they were already making offers to offensive linemen before both these guys left. That tells you they were already looking at bringing in an offensive lineman. This probably tells you they're going to probably try to bring in two, maybe three. They're going to try to add to it, add more depth. And that's important. It's important to have depth on the offensive line, but you want to add starters too because right now you only have two starters back to the offensive line. Now I think because of – the way Logan Brown and Calvin Clements are viewed, like it's almost viewed as okay, that's still going to be fine there and everything. But yeah, and and yeah, like if Kobe Baines isn't considered a starter, like he played starter level snaps, so you can still very easily see the route to KU having a good offensive line. But that's going to be kind of the the question mark right now on the offensive side of the ball. You feel you yeah. know good about the one question about quarterback is just can Jalen Daniels stay healthy? But you feel good about the room. Yeah, running back you have Devin Neal, receiver you know Lawrence Arnold back and and all those guys. Tight end, you added Deshaun Hanukkah, you still have Jared Casey and Trevor Cardell. It's going to be, can you fill out the rest of that offensive line? And yeah. that becomes a little bit more difficult after some of the stuff today. But, you know, even then, it's not impossible that KU can't replace what they lost in the portal and get similar, if not better, production. Sure. You know, Lavelle yeah. didn't really play a ton for you. He was just depth. Can you go out and get somebody like that? Yeah, why not? Reed Adams was a solid player for you. You look at some of the pro football focus grades. He was also, basically an average starting offensive Just a line. really big dude also. Big dude. And you expect a player like that, who this was his really first full year as a starter, to become an even better player next year. So, you know, he could take a big jump next year, and that would certainly be a big loss. But can you bring in at least another average level power five starter? Yeah, I, I think you can if you, you hit it right. I mean, listen, there's definitely no lack of players that are going to be available in the portal. It'll just come down to fit. It'll come down to scheme. It'll come down to... What is KU looking to to add? What you know? Are they looking for a center? Are they looking for a guard? Are they looking for you know what, what you know? It, it just that's all it comes down to, right? And then it just comes down to the staff being able to filter through, you know, the deluge of players that are in the portal to see if they can find their guy. And again, you know, besides a couple of linebackers that that didn't really pan out, they've been pretty successful in terms of bringing in transfers that have had impact. So that's right. Yeah, they've they've done a good job with the transfer portal that gives you a lot of confidence what they're going to bring in. Now, the other big, uh, I guess, decision or announcement over the weekend was Kobe Bryant on New Year's Day announcing he is coming back for another year at KU. 
and now you know you have Melo Dotson and Kobe Bryant back, is that kind of battery at the quarterback cornerback position? Kobe was obviously all Big 12 first team last year. He was the year before. I went back and looked, and uh, by my judgment, there have only been nine players all time in KU football's history that have been all-conference first team three times in their career. And it hasn't happened since 1992 was the last one, and that was a kicker. If we go to offensive or defensive players, you have to go back to Willie Pless in the mid-'80s. So Kobe Bryant's going to have a great chance, if he can become first-team All-Big 12 again this season, which he'll be picked to do in the preseason, to do something that we have not seen in 40 years, basically. So he was first-team in 2021 also? He was. Okay. Yes. Or I guess 2022. And when you think about the current nature of college athletics and college football, the amount of transfers that happen, uh, players going pro early, um, I don't know, I- injuries, I guess. Like, You're right, this is probably something that's not going to happen again. That's the thing. It, it'd be the first time, in, and, and like just the amount of teams that are in conferences now, where it's going to be harder to be first team. Sure. If there's 16 teams in the conference, there's more players to choose from for first team than if there's 10, right? Yeah. Back in the day, there was, all big, there was the big eight. There was the big six, you know? Now there's double the amount of teams. There's a good chance you don't ever see that again. So enjoy it while you can. Kobe coming back, and obviously that's a huge boon to the KU secondary. It's yeah. a huge boon to the KU defense. And when you look at that secondary, it becomes probably one of the best in the Big Twelve. That's right. Without, I mean, without diving too deep into, I don't know enough about Arizona exactly. and Utah's coming yeah. in. Yeah. Iowa State's would be the other one of the current teams that I know has a really good secondary. Yeah, Miles Purchase will be back for another year. He was the highest Tampa rated back in PFF. I don't know if Tampa. I think Tampa's gone. Okay. But they've done a really good job with DBs over the years that they're probably in the conversation, at least. I, I wanted to bring them up. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe some of the other TCU usually has like good DBs. Exactly. I don't but, know. Whatever. Right. But you you become what you would think is probably a On top paper. two or three yeah. secondary in the Big 12 and probably one of the better in the country. Exactly. Yeah. And when you look at the experience of that secondary, Kobe Bryant, senior. Melo Dotson, senior. OJ Burroughs, senior. Marvin Grant, redshirt senior. I think in the, in the case of Dotson and Bryant, they might be fifth-year seniors, too. Um, Demarius McGee, who could be one of your backup corners. Redshirt junior, so that's a fourth-year player. Yeah. Devin Dye and Jalen Dye, both redshirt juniors. Those are fourth-year players. So, I mean, if, if that's your two deep, who knows who the other corner would be. Maybe it's B.J. Dilworth. If, if he's a redshirt sophomore, that's a third-year player. Maybe it's a Jamil Croft who's a redshirt freshman. Either way. Yeah. And it's even more exciting to think about that experience when you consider the fact that you're bringing in a young crop of corners that yeah. should have the opportunity to learn, learn under these guys. And, and hopefully take that room even further, right? So that's yeah. pretty cool, right? I mean, you're bringing in, you know, from this recruiting class, you know, most of your highest-rated recruits are are on that defense. Either Austin Alexander, Jalen Todd, Andre Gibson. Yeah, exactly. And then the year before, two of your three highest-rated recruits were Jamil Croft and Jacoby Davis, also corners. year before yeah. that, your highest-rated recruit, Brian Dilworth, corner. Yeah, so now those guys all are going to have a chance to really learn uh, under the guidance of two guys that are – elite players at their position, Kobe Bryant and Melo Dotson, in different ways, but both really, really quality players that you'll have a chance to really, really learn from and, and gain a, a ton of knowledge from and have an opportunity to, to then step into that role once Kobe Bryant and Melo Dotson move on. I think both those guys you would think are going to be head, are going to be NFL players, I would think, uh, which is pretty cool to think that that's going to be the case for KU. And then you'll have these young guys ready to hopefully step up you know, in 2025 and beyond. Yeah, you would certainly hope so, but... You have All-American candidates now in the secondary, and that's a cool thing to have going into a year where your defense made such vast improvements from last year to this year. The yep. question is, can you take another 
Big jump into next year. Can you be one of the, I don't know, five best defenses in the Big 12 next year? That's a good start to doing it when you have that experience of a secondary behind it. And not just an experienced secondary, but ones that are playmakers, ones that are going to get you offensive points. Uh, Kobe Bryant has three career defensive touchdowns. He has two pick sixes. Melo Dotson had, what, three he, pick sixes last season? I think he had two this past season. Two? Which I think that's, I, I don't know how long they've been able to track that record, but I know in the KU Media Guide, two is the record. So you have two guys who are tied for first in that record. Pretty cool. Wow. All right, we're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty coming up in 20 minutes from right now. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's break down the college football playoff games yesterday on the other side of RCST with KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer, who thinks a Wolverine is close to a dog. Dude, they're like sort of. No, they are not. I am Derek Johnson, who does not believe that one bit. Uh, We're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kevin, would you like to weigh in? Is a wolverine close to a dog? No, I think it's more like a mean badger. That's what I said. I said it's like a badger skunk family. (laughs) Close-ish. Yeah, yeah, it's... uh... But they they are uh, are super mean. You don't uh, you don't mess with them at all. That's right. Which is similar to the Michigan defense, I guess. Uh, they sure. beat Alabama. Washington beats Texas. What maybe surprised you most in terms of what you saw yesterday in the college football playoff? You know, I, I think it was one of those uh, one of those things where I, I thought Michigan, in order to win that game, I didn't think there would be any way that Michigan could do it without being. The, the aggressor and sort of the more physical team. And it wasn't that I didn't think that they couldn't do it. It's just that not a lot of people do that to Alabama. And I, I think, you know, this I don't think was a, a classically great Alabama team. And yet, at the same time, even when Alabama hasn't been great, they've still typically been more physical and tougher than you are. And both losses this year, when you look at the Texas game and if you look at the Michigan game, you know, they got beat up up front. And I think that that was kind of the, I don't want to say it was a huge shock, but it was still one of the the bigger surprises, you know, just sort of, hey, that, that Alabama can get handled like this, especially by somebody that doesn't recruit at Alabama's level, uh, which, I mean, that, that category pretty much has Alabama and Georgia in it. So there, there's, I think that was a big part of it. The other thing uh, that I was a little surprised by, just how red hot Michael Penix Jr. was. I mean, he he was dropping that thing into small spots. The receivers were catching everything. I mean, it was, it was one of those things that I, I think Texas was probably the better team overall. But on last night... With him playing like that, with Texas making the untimely penalties, the turnovers, the different things, you know, for them to still have a shot at it and still wind up throwing, you know, having to throw into the end zone with a chance to win it, I, I thought it was almost kind of fluky a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It was uh, crazy down the stretch in, in the end of that game. And, and now when you look at Washington playing Michigan, we were just talking that with the game, I, I could see Michigan putting – Washington into kind of a a blender with their defense and just ability to run the ball and kind of grinding out the game. But I could also just see Washington, you know, what's one way to beat a good defense? Just 
throw it up and, and make great catches, and that's what they've been doing all year with Penix throwing accurately and the, the amount of receivers that they have to where, I don't know, maybe they could have a big advantage passing the ball. I, I'm not a huge J.J. McCarthy guy. Uh, do, are, are you giving Washington a real shot to win the national title? Yeah, they have a real shot, and I think you made a really good point with the number of targets because I think that's going to be what's going to be big for Washington in this game is Michigan is better in the defensive backfield than Texas is by a pretty significant margin. And so Michigan is not an easy team to throw the ball against, but the issue comes when you're defending Washington it's not that they have one guy. It's not that they have two guys. It's that they've got just a whole host of guys that can hurt you. And in that respect, it reminds me a little bit of the Joe Burrow-led LSU team, where it was sort of like there was a different star in each playoff game from a receiving standpoint. Was it Jefferson that, or was it Marshall that absolutely tore up OU? And then Jamar Chase, I mean, did Jamar Chase things in the title game, but just sort of they could match up hunt. They could look out there and say our, you know, our third or fourth best wide receiver is better than your fifth or sixth best defensive back, and they could hunt that a little bit. And I think that's where things are going to be really interesting to watch in this because I think Michigan won't get away from the running game the way that Texas did, and Michigan will be, you know, arguably – even more successful at it, I think. I think Michigan is a really physical team, a lot like Texas is, and will enjoy some of the same advantages. The issue is Michigan's not going to be as effective with as many different weapons as Texas has throwing the ball. And and Washington came out really well in that regard. But at the same time, you don't have as much prep time uh, you don't have as much time to to really get ready for for what the other team brings, and in this case, that could be an advantage for Washington. And that Michigan won't have a month to sit there and sort of say, "Okay, here's how we deal with all these different wide receivers." And, and so, it could be a little bit similar to that 2018 title game when you had Clemson and Alabama. And I think Alabama was the better team, but Clemson had Trevor Lawrence and and, uh, and Justin Ross, and, and that was enough. Yeah, and, and you know now that we're kind of talking about it, I I guess outside of if you are Georgia or Alabama, where you kind of talked about some of the you know recruiting things that like Alabama's obviously done. Uh, unless you're one of those teams, is that maybe the the avenue for how you do have that elite season? Because I'm thinking back, and you think to the Clemson team that had. Um, uh, Justin Ross and, and T. Higgins and, and some of those guys. You think to that LSU team that you kind of talked about there, you think back to, I know Ohio State didn't win the title last year, but they were uh, the closest team to beating Georgia last year, and, and they obviously had a great receiver core with you know uh, Marvin Harrison and, and some of those players. And now with Washington, what they're doing this year, is, is that the new path of college football, unless you're recruiting at that Georgia-Alabama level, having as many elite weapons as possible on the outside that can just win for you? Yeah, having that and then having a quarterback who plays at an absolutely elite level. I mean, it's the the amazing thing about about uh, Penix, and I've watched him some this season, but I'm not sure I've seen him look like he did um, last night. I think one of the amazing things was even when they missed blocks, he was able to make, make guys miss in the pocket by himself that extra second and, and make a throw. And you look at it and you say, we didn't defend that play that badly. 
and he made a play anyway. And I think, you know, like you said, that's, that's kind of what you, you have to be. You're not going to line up and run the ball all over some of these teams without recruiting at that kind of level, getting those kinds of guys up front. I think the other thing that really helped Washington, um, really helped Clemson, um, and another team you could throw in there is the Deshaun Watson, you know, team kind of won in a, a similar manner. But all, a lot of those teams, even the LSU team that wasn't, you know, wasn't perfect defensively, they wound up playing above their, above their ceilings defensively when it mattered. And all of them had edge guys that played really, really well, you know, when it mattered most. And if you looked at where Texas was deficient last night, Texas didn't have an edge rusher that changed that game, and Washington did in Trice. And so I really think that that's a big part of it, too, is you you have to have sort of that one defensive lineman or that one edge guy that can just sort of put everything in the background and just go make big plays. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. And I don't know, maybe this is making too much of a, a stretch here, but when you look at Kansas for next season with the three receivers they could have back and that, you know, those guys aren't, I don't know, in the same vein of like a Dunze could be a first-round pick and some of the, the things like that, but they've been very proficient receivers. And um, I don't mean to say that the Kansas win a national title next year. I just mean when you look at Washington – I think on twenty four seven you guys have the uh, roster talent. They're twenty sixth on that. Is yep. that is that a beacon of hope for a team like Kansas that that they can have you know a special season? And, and why can't a team that that's not a Georgia or Alabama you know uh, make a run or or win a, a national title or go to the final four or something like that? Absolutely, and I, I'd take it a step further and say. You know, even with next year's team, you know, which I think will have a chance to compete for a playoff spot uh, with Jalen Daniels, who's a guy who can make people miss with pressure, make plays down the field, that receiving core, all of those things. Look at what Kansas has recruited over the last couple classes. You know, you have a left tackle, you know, in Calvin Clements, who I think is going to be really good, got his first career start as a true freshman. You're bringing in Isaiah Marshall, who I think is is a quarterback that makes his team play above its talent level. And obviously he won a state title, and he had a monster game in the state title game. You brought in the three receivers last year that I think are talented, fast, you know, bring quite a bit uh, to the team. And then you look at the edge guys that they brought in in this class, and all of a sudden – it's kind of like, hey, three years from now, you know, when these guys are, are breaking into the lineup really and, and giving you a, a chance to win games, I think that's the way you have to recruit as well. You can fill holes in the transfer portal. You can look at it and say, okay, I don't feel great about our left guard situation. Let's let's go get somebody who's who's got three years starting experience. You can you can do that on the defensive line. Obviously, Kansas did that. Uh, with Austin Booker, but I think more generally speaking, you need to be able to get those guys in recruiting, be able to develop them, have them in your system, and bring them up. And I think having players in those positions, it, that's that's kind of your key to competing at a really high level now. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, scooting over to some Big 12 hoops where play gets going this week to kick things off. Is, is there a team right now, I know we talked a couple weeks ago about teams that are biggest surprises in, in the BYUs and the Oklahomas of the world, but is there a team right now that, that maybe you think has 
surprised through non-con or maybe has had a good non-con, but you're not necessarily buying what they're selling for Big 12 games? You know, TCU is a fascinating team and that TCU is sitting here at 11 and two. Um, and, and so they're, they had a, a great, you know, a great season. They were a team that I thought, I believe I had them ranked in my preseason rankings. If I did, they were, you know, down in that 21, 22 type range. And yet when you watch them play, um, I, I think you see a little bit that, Hey, this, this team maybe isn't as good as TCU was a year ago or whatever else when they were, when they were healthy. It's a, it's a team that I don't want to say they're not physical because they are physical, but last year's TCU team, I thought you could look at that team and probably say this is the most physical team in the Big 12. And I think that that was one of the advantages that they really brought to bear. I think this year's team is is physical. I think they fall on that end of the spectrum. They don't necessarily have that much of an edge. They've got kind of some weird roster fits that they're they're working through. And so, while TCU is eleven and two, I think they're one of the teams that not even to say they won't perform a Big Twelve play, but they're a team that I have circled where I'm kind of like, okay, is this real? Is this the sort of thing that? is going to be able to hold up. And I, I do have a, a little bit of question mark uh, there. BYU's really had a, a terrific start to the season. They're top four in Ken Palm now um, and, and all of those things. And yet when I did our Big 12 reset, I didn't have them in my top five. And so relative to, uh, I think, what they've done, I, I'm still bullish on, on BYU. I think they're good. They're experienced. But when you look at, okay, BYU right now is tracking as a Big 12 title contender, I don't know that I see that yet. And, and so I think that relative to expectations, I think I'd go ahead and, and put BYU in that in that category, based on the fact that you know BYU has such a sparkling record, they're ranked they're ranked so high in the metrics, but I'm not sure that they're that they're quite at that upper tier Big Twelve level that that maybe they that maybe people would have you believe they're at. I know it's it's probably harder to prognosticate this year with the different schedules for every team in terms of. You know, it's it's no longer you just play everybody home and home, and you know who everybody's playing. It, it's going to be unbalanced schedules. Some team could have a, I don't know, a slightly easier schedule than another team. But if you had to pick a number right now that you think wins the Big Twelve, what would you go with? Ooh, that's a that's a tough question because I think that when you when you look at the league, it's it's such a, a tough league to project. In terms of because you have the unbalanced schedules, because you have, you know, so many teams that are capable of winning on a night in, night out basis, there's going to be a really good team in this league that winds up like nine and nine. And it's going to be because they're going to have a, a turnaround, you know, where they're going to get like Kansas on a Saturday and then Oklahoma on a Monday. And maybe they're even better than Oklahoma is, but maybe they might not be that night coming off the Kansas game. And so I do think the schedule is going to tell us a lot. Uh, I do think there's a little bit of separation at the top, probably not a ton. And so I'd actually set that number fairly high. I think it's probably going to be somewhere around 14 or maybe even 15. Um, And so I know that, 
it feels like, hey, the Big 12 is so stacked, nobody's going to get out of here, you know, at anything better than 12 and 6. But but I do think that, you know, there's there's a real chance here for, for teams to make that kind of run. And, and so I do think the number is going to be fairly high. And if, if you had to pick some all Big 12 players right now, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, fill out a full team or anything, but um, – are there players that you feel like at this point in time through non-con if the awards were coming out would have to be like locks that they would have to be on on uh, one of the teams right now? Yeah, that was the tough thing about the reset was I wound up with 12 players for five spots mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and having, you know, 12 players that, that had solid cases. And I wound up going with with the two Kansas players, you know, McCuller and Dickinson. I wound up going with two players from Houston, uh, that backcourt in Shed and Cryer, and then I wound up going with Taman Lipsy uh, at Iowa State. I, I thought that they had the best case uh, out of all those guys. I think the Houston guys in particular, it was really hard to separate those two, right? Because, you know, Shed, a big part of the reason he averages just under 10 points a game is because Cryer is out there scoring and Shed, you know, does kind of everything else. He's an elite defensive guard. He, you know, sets the table so well offensively and he scores when he, when he needs to score. At the same time, you know, Cryer scoring uh, allows him to do that. Cryer is scoring at a ridiculously high level, really efficient, you know, and so they were really hard to separate from that re- reason. And I felt like there were a lot of teams like that. You look at, at Oklahoma, and I feel like you and I would probably say best player is probably JV and McCollum. I mean, and I was looking at Oway's numbers today. Time, He's shooting Otega 70%. The one, at the same time, Otega Oway is the one who has the numbers. He's a really good defender as well as all of that. So, I mean, that that's the tough thing is it's, you look at Otega Owe's numbers and you say, well, these are first-team All-Big 12 numbers, and yet there's an argument that he's not even the best player on his own team, and you see that a lot through the Big 12. And so that, I think, is is one of the, the tough things about really trying to put a hammer down on who the best players in the conference are. Yeah, it's, it's even tougher because there's more teams now, so you just end up with yeah. uh, even more players as, as kind of all of this. Who knows, maybe... Uh, uh, Raekwon Battle, if he keeps scoring 27 points per game, I know it's only been three games. How do you keep him off? You know, so. I, 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 love, I love Dylan DeSue. He was on my yeah. initial like preseason All-America list. He's got Max A. Smith for, for a teammate. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's like that across the, uh, across the league. And so it, it'll be, it'll be really, really tough to, to figure out Kansas state, you know, Cam Carter's probably having the best year out of the guys there, but at the same time, you know, is he their best? Is he their most important player? I, I don't know. It might be Tyler Perry. On certain nights, it might be Arthur Kaluma, and I think that that's, that's what's really tough about picking these teams this year, maybe, in comparison to other years. Yep. Uh, who is your local prospect of the week, and therefore the new year? Yeah, let's, uh, let's go to eight-man football, Ooh. and we're going to go to a guy named Brandon Schmelsley, and he's... Uh, He's a really uh, a really talented player from out of Axtell, Kansas. Um, I actually had a chance to to see him in camp and, and was glad that that I was. You know, in eight man, obviously the numbers are, are kind of video game ish, but he completed you know about eighty percent of his passes um, as a quarterback. Threw for twenty nine touchdowns and zero interceptions. 
He rushed for 800 yards and 21 touchdowns. And yet where he made all state was on defense because he picked off nine passes. And he's a guy that, you know, he's six one probably, at least last time I saw him, he was around in that range. And the thing that makes him interesting, Derek, is he's got some interesting track times. He ran a ten nine hundred meter dash as a sophomore. And so teams don't typically recruit a whole lot at the eight man level as as you know. But it may be a situation that if Schmelzley winds up being a legitimate 6'2", I think he's listed at 6'3 now. Uh, but like like I said, last time I saw him, he was probably about 6'1". If he winds up being 6'2", 6'3", and he winds up putting up those kinds of track numbers that you look for, runs 10'6", or, or something like that, it may be the sort of thing where people just say, look, like... <laughs> He may be eight man, but he's putting up the stuff that we understand. He's tall, he's fast, and his stats are video game numbers. You know, he may be the rare guy that gets a chance to get recruited at a power five level out of an eight man school. And so I, I think that he's a really, really interesting 2025 kid. So he was a junior this year. He'll be a senior next year. And, and like I said, keep an eye on him this track season in particular, because I think that that even more than what he did on, on a football field where he was where he was all state on, on defense, I, I think could tell the tale in terms of whether or not this kid winds up getting recruited at a really high level. Here's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work at 24-7 Sports. Kevin, appreciate the time, man. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. Two hours down, one to go. Back into the KU basketball conversation next with RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Happy New Year to you. If you missed from uh, earlier today, we discussed a little bit in the four o'clock hour about Kobe Bryant, who is announcing he's coming back for 2024. That's a big move for KU football. But uh, Armaj Reed Adams and Spencer Lavelle are transferring away. So KU going to have some work to do in the offseason with building out the depth and some of the interior of the offensive line. LJ Arnold also announced earlier today that he'll be back for next year for KU football. If you missed any of that conversation, find it with the best of RCST podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts, including now on KUSports.com, brought to you by Massage Envy. All right, we got to do our KU basketball takeaways before we get into some KU basketball audio from Hunter Dickinson, El Marco Jackson, and Kevin McCuller later this hour. Let's start with the biggest positive. What is the biggest positive of KU's dominant win over Wichita State on Saturday? Yeah, I talked about it a little bit. I think the fact that throughout the game, there were definable moments of which all five of your starters had pretty significant impact plays. El Marco Jackson kind of kickstarts the offense late in the first half. Hunter Dickinson, 13 rebounds, was was really dominant on the glass and ended up with 22 points. Kevin McCullough did his thing and scored a lot. Dewan Harris hit a couple threes early and then was a facilitator as well. K.J. Adams, 11 rebounds in the game, also had a, a nice dunk in there as well and was really effective from that short roll, which was something that you had pointed out last week coming into the game. Uh, and that ended up being true. So I think that was the biggest positive is all five of your starters had really, really moments that you could pick out and say, man, that was a, that was a really great sequence for that individual. And again, I, I think... If that happens in a game for KU where you have those moments for all five stars, KU's going to win a lot of games because yeah. KU's starting lineup, as much as you maybe you want to focus on the bench and, oh, you need depth, whatever, KU's starting five is as good, if not better, than any starting five in the entire country. And if those five guys are all clicking and making plays that are impacting the game at a high level, I don't think Kansas is going to lose very many of those games. And that's exactly what happened in this game against Wichita State. They got Once they got going and they made some plays, 
uh, they were able to to dominate the game and, and come up with a with a good win. I think for me, there, there's a couple things I would point to. Uh, Marco Jackson just individually was the biggest positive from this game. Anytime that one of the players who was in that, I guess, five through nine conversation has a big game to make it feel like, are they turning a corner? Is this going to be the sign of more to come? That is obviously a good sign. I thought that was the most comfortable that he's kind of looked in a game, the most athletic that he's looked in a game and starting to use that athleticism. So that was a big individual takeaway. Uh, enough to a point where like, Honestly, between Elmarco Jackson, Nick Timberlake, Johnny Furphy, and Jamari McDowell, if two of those four play well for you, you feel good, I think is where we're kind of at. Because you know what KU has with those top four, yeah. and then Parker Brown's just going to be your kind of solid backup center. So if just two of those four play well, you feel good. And I thought Elmarco had a good game. I thought Johnny Furphy had an aggressive game, which is, you know, good, I guess, process. In the end, uh, I thought Jamari McDowell played pretty well. So uh, those, those would all be in it. Beyond that, I mean... All the way through, I continue to say this kind of game in and game out, and I'll say it again here. I've been saying how I think Kansas should be a better offensive rebounding team than the numbers have bared out so far in this season. They're ranked 243rd in offensive rebounding rate. I think they have the personnel to be better than that. Well, it was in this game. They out-rebounded Wichita State 14-7 to on the offensive glass. And you look at the offensive rebound rate, KU got 31% of their misses. Wichita State only got 17%. Coming into the game, Wichita State was a really good rebounding team. Even after the game, Wichita State is 96th in offensive rebound rate, 77th in defensive rebounding rate. Uh, they were top 70 in both coming into the game. And you had a big edge there. That is a good sign because that's an area when you're looking as the season goes on, where like, like sometimes there are just certain things where you're not as good at, and it's just like, well... I don't really know that you have an avenue to getting that much better at it. Like, you just don't have that. That's an avenue where they're not doing well at it, but I think they can get better. Another one of those same things is the forcing turnovers. KU did a great job avoiding turnovers in this game. They only had eight of them compared to 23 assists. Wichita State, they forced 15 turnovers in the game, and 10 of them were off of steals. And that's another number where KU hasn't done a great job at both of those things. On the season, Kansas is 203rd in turnover defense. They're 94th in steal rate defense. Both those numbers, I think, can go up. And they have recently and including in this game. So both those positives are things that I feel like you have an arrow trending up in the right direction headed into conference play. What is your biggest negative? <sighs> I mean, how can it not be Nick Timberlake? <laughs> From an individual standpoint, it has to be. I mean... It's just, it's just not good. Uh, if you want to look at something else, I mean, again, KU kind of slept blocked the first 10 and a half, 11 minutes of this game. Yeah, the offense in the first 12 minutes. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. So I think that maybe would be your biggest negative is it, it looked like the guys had just rolled out of bed <laughs> to play the first 10 minutes. Uh, eventually they figured it out. But, you know, we, we've kind of talked about the, the gauntlet of the Big 12 Conference play and in, in Big 12 play, you are not going to be able to take five, six, seven, eight minutes off from the game and expect to win at a, at win a lot of Big 12 games, right? You're, you're going to get punished for that if you are sluggish, whether it's the beginning of the game, middle, you know, doesn't matter where it happens in the game. If, if you have a span of, let's say, more than five minutes where you're, you're not locked in and you're struggling on offense, you're going to get punished for that. And, you know, we've seen some situations with KU, especially down the last where sometimes they can still dig themselves out of that, but... You, you, that's not something you want to see happening on, on a game-by-game on -game basis. So I think it's pretty easy to write off the first 10 minutes of this game against Wichita State, though, because it was your first game off of a off of a break, 
off of you know Christmas break and everything. So I'm I'm more willing to kind of set it aside and say, eh, I don't think that's going to be an issue. But from from just the game specifically, that would be a pretty big negative. Is the fact that you didn't even show up to the stadium. It felt like until ten minutes in. Yeah. By the way, one other thing I, I should have mentioned for positive: they were seventeen of nineteen on free throws. That's uh, very yeah. good. No, yeah. I, listen, I I bemoaned that early in the season, and since then they've seemed to have figured it out. So. Sure, good. Uh, just to toss out uh, other negatives, there, I, I guess it would be the shooting in general. You were four of nine on corner threes, but outside of that, it was uh, it was not so good. So if you there were seventeen of twenty on shots at the rim, that's eighty five percent. If you look at every other shot, so shots in the paint that were not at the rim. Corner threes, even including them doing well there. Mid-range shots and above-the-break threes. That means they were 14 of 54. <laughs> that's not... So they were, that's not very good. So they were 14 of 54. So they made less shots from everywhere else than they did at the rim, where they made 17, on 34 more tries. That means on every shot except for at the rim, they shot 26% from the field. Not great. Not great. Not great. You need more shooting. And part of that goes back to the Nick Timberlake thing. You know, part of that goes back to what are you going to get from Johnny Furphy and Jamari McDowell yeah. and some and, of these And, you know, Bill Self has alluded to the fact that he felt that Hunter Dickinson was probably going to come back to earth at some point with some of his uh, shooting, and that has kind of come to fruition sort of where he hasn't been. It's You know, I, it felt like early in the season, Hunter Dickinson on a on a jump shot was automatic, mm-hmm. and that's not that hasn't been the case lately. But Yeah, I... I think defensively you were pretty sound, so I, I wouldn't necessarily point anything out, uh, yeah. I guess, on that end. But yeah, uh, overall a good game, so there's not going to be as many negatives, which is, is fine. Uh, where was the biggest neutral of the game? Hmm, biggest neutral. Do you think the biggest neutral was the bench? Hmm. Bad game from Timberlake, but you got Jamari McDowell was good with six points. Yeah, four, four, Parker Brown was good. Parker Brown was pretty solid. And Furphy Again, I thought Furphy, good. honestly, Furphy well, might be the biggest neutral just on his yeah, own. Yeah, because if you were just box score watching, you'd think, well, oh, man, not very good. One for six from right. the field, like, that's not very good. Or two for six from the field, that's not very good. But, but yeah, to your point, he, he, was he, aggressive. Looked, he looked aggressive, looked assertive. Free throw line. He looked confident in his defense. Uh, yeah, so maybe Furphy, maybe Furphy just on his own is the biggest neutral. Yeah. But this is this is crazy, by the way, because... In a game where you won by 19 and you were up by 25 points with two minutes to go, box score plus minus isn't the best tool to use, especially in a one-game sample. But Dewan Harris was plus 27. Kevin McCuller was plus 24. K.J. Adams was plus 32. Hunter Dickinson plus 20. Marco Jackson plus 18. That's Timberlake was minus 11. That's pretty not good. Going back to that. So in a game you won by 19, he was minus 11. That's... One other thing I didn't want to shout out. This probably should have gone with biggest positives, I guess. But uh, KU fans, man, you know, uh, in a game like this with a fan base and a program like Wichita State that's been kind of clamoring for these types of matchups, you would have thought that their Wichita State fans would have maybe showed up in a bigger capacity than they did. But from being at the game, I was at the game sitting up. I was sitting up at the bleeder, so I, you know, I'm not rich enough to afford the, the lower bowl seats. But from sitting up there. It was easily 90-10 KU fans, if not more. So KU fans did a great job of coming out. And even uh, got a shout-out from Travis Goff and uh, makes you wonder. You specifically? No, no, no. KU oh. fans. He basically had a tweet I was that. if he shouted you out specifically. No, he didn't shout me out. Okay. No, he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> uh, 
No, but he made a tweet that was, that basically was like, hey, you know, great job, KU, the Kansas City area KU fans showing up. And I think if you want to read the tea leaves on that, maybe possibly alluding to these the the idea of KU football playing some games at Arrowhead with with Kansas City area KU fans showing up. But yeah, so I just wanted to give a little, give a little nod to uh, to KU fans because uh, they showed up in droves. And also, by the way, another biggest positive, the 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 lame. I shouldn't say lame. The the pregame video that Wichita State had just just paled in comparison to what KU had. It was really sad. It was I mean it was it was really sad. <laughs> so, by the way, two others I would toss out for neutral of the game. I guess you could sh- could say three point shooting was kind of a neutral. Not that you shot it well, uh, but because they didn't shoot it well either. Yeah. So you were seven of 27, 26%. They were four of 20, 20%. Like neither team got a huge advantage there. The yeah. other one would actually be the, the two point shooting uh, because yeah, they, were they, shot better. they were 52% on twos. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, but that's close enough where it is kind of a neutral. Um, you just won the game by getting those extra possessions, forcing the extra turnovers, not sure. turning it over, getting the offensive rebounds, getting to the free throw line, hitting a few more threes. It just kind of uh, all added up. Yeah. What is the KU play of the game? Oh man, you know I've talked a lot about the sequence of El Marco Jackson when the score was tied at 14. He gets a layup, and then he hits a dunk in transition, and then uh, he hits a three as well on top of that. So uh, that to me is probably maybe that's the play of the game. Uh, KJ Adams had a big dunk also at one point that was just a really emphatic dunk. Uh, but I'm I'm really tempted to go with the El Marco Jackson transition dunk because he 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 flew. My man got airborne, showed off his his athleticism with the dunk, and on top of that, I think that sequence really seemed to be the sequence that kind of woke KU up a little bit on offense and got them going, and they didn't look back. So I'll say uh, El Marco flying and dunking the ball uh, in the middle of the first half to get the offense going. I think those are good ones just to throw other ones out there, I guess. Um there's a couple passes by KJ Adams which were really good getting into the lane on those short rolls that led to like corner threes. Um that you didn't have a lot of them in the game and, and they were in the first half specifically when you were really trying to get the offense going and you were struggling to it. Those both come to mind. Um the Johnny Furphy three where he gets fouled too, that was also in the first half when you were trying to kind of get things going. There was uh uh, a really nice pass by Dewan Harris threading a needle uh, to a cutter in the lane. I think it was to Kevin McCuller at one point. That was a really nice executed play. But, yeah, I, I think for me it's one of the dunks. It's either the K.J. Adams dunk, which looked like he was like a skier slaloming through the slopes, <laughs> except it was through the defense. He was like shifting back and forth and then just threw it down. And then, First yeah, the all, Marco one. Is that is that – did you use that term correctly? What, slaloming? That, isn't that – isn't slalom – that's the name of the event. That's yeah. not actually what they're doing, is it? I don't know, but I, think I feel you like you understood what I was saying. I feel so. like you didn't use that correctly. Slalom. That's the name of the event, right? How do you even spell slalom? S L O A M O M. I mean, it says slalom is a verb. Okay. Move a race okay, okay. a winding path of winning options. All right, all right, all right. Fine, fine. Sorry, I didn't know. So. I mean, I understood. What you're, I understood what you're trying to say. I just thought that. I just didn't know if you could use it in a verb form because I that's the that's what the name of it that's what the event is right yeah like you you win the gold in slalom mm-hmm. right but I didn't know if that was uh how dare you, you challenge know how to, my do you, words do you know how to slalom Derek <laughs> no I do not but yeah so uh, I I'll just go if you want to go with the El Marco dunk I'll go with the KJ Adams dunk and then we get yeah. both of them 
in there. Yep. All right, that's our KU basketball takeaways. Let's get to some KU basketball audio coming up on the other side, including with Hunter Dickinson, El Marco Jackson, and Kevin McCuller. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst 1320 am at gmail.com that's rcst 1320 am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live 3 to 6 p.m central time monday through friday on klwn klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast